Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. Sexplanations podcast, episode 84. I'm here with my cousin, Caitlin, and we're going to do a review of some questions that I've been asked in the past and see what your answers are to them. Sounds good. Yeah, it's like a fun game. <laughs> okay. This goes out to our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash podcast, specifically Ben Trammell, Donna Flint, The Millers, and Zip Wah. You all make this possible, and I'm incredibly grateful for you. If you want to be like them, you can go to patreon.com slash podcast and support us there. Okay, ready? Let's go. Let's go. First question. <laughs> I want to be like, who are you? You are my cousin. Yeah, we should give some context for how you answer these questions. What's your age? I'm 31. What is your gender? Female. Uh, What is your... What are your top three hobbies? Ooh, uh, weightlifting, cycling, and I just picked up archery, so I guess I'll list that one. Oh, nice. Do you arch... What is the... Shoot a bow. <laughs> shoot. I wish there was a... Do you shoot uh, with my brother? No. Did you ever do that? Didn't he teach archery in Ireland? Okay. Yeah. Well, we're, we all just find our ways to similar things. Very cool. Um, anything else we should know about you? I'm a CrossFit coach. Yeah, you are. Uh, not that education matters, but um, maybe it does. Does it? What, what is your educational level? <laughs> uh, well, I was homeschooled growing up. I guess that's kind of unique. Oh, yes. And then I have a bachelor's in theology. Oh, dang. Okay. Are you going to go on to get a master's? No, I'm done with school. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Did you do it in a four-year college? Yeah. And where was that? Cedar Valley University. In Ohio? Yeah, near Dayton. Dayton, okay. That's where we grew up. We're Midwestern girls. Yes. Okay, I'm trying to think of anything else that... uh, She's my cousin. I mean, that's like the big thing, right? Yes, that would be the big thing. My favorite food is waffles. Really? Yes. Have you seen the YouTube channel, Will It Waffle? No. Oh. Okay, well, there's a YouTube channel uh, done by Jackson Bird where... He will put uh, different things like gummy bears, for example, into a waffle press and then see whether or not they will waffle. Okay. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. All right. Favorite food waffles. Favorite thing to put on waffles? Applesauce. Okay. (laughs) I have a waffle. I don't know if I currently have a waffle maker. I did, but I'm doing a big pack of things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So on to sex. Uh, any thoughts on sex that we should add to this? Thoughts on sex. This little biography of yours. Um, job interview. <laughs> job interview. Yeah, definitely going to get hired here. <laughs> uh, I think, I guess it would be relevant to say that I grew up uh, going to church and sex was something that is not talked a lot about in church. So true. It's yeah. It's kind of more of a taboo subject growing up. Yeah. I mean, we had... Similar upbringings in that way. Um, both went to church. Did you go to church camp? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I just saw a picture of myself from yeah. church camp. And I think I was going, 
like up until 13, 14, 15, maybe. Do you want to hear a funny story about church camp? Yes. (laughs) So I wanted to talk to the girls about sex at camp. What? (laughs) Yeah. You know, like talk to the kids, you know, you separate the boys and the girls. As a counselor? As a counselor. Yeah. Yeah. I was a camp counselor. And um, so I had heard a lot of don'ts um, growing up. Mm -hmm. And so we were talking about, you know, purity for the girls and like, but I wanted to make sure that I communicated that sex wasn't a bad thing. So the line that came out of my mouth was sex is amazing. (laughs) So when when the the campers had at the end of the week, a, a chance to share what they learned while their parents were standing there. And guess what? One of the girls comes up and says in front of all the parents, yeah, yes. Sex well, is okay. amazing. What happened? There was a there was a big silence after that. But nobody <laughs> got in trouble. No, no one got in trouble. I mean, were they going to we, argue with you? We did. We did uh, maybe add some context for the parents as to why she said that. That was probably helpful. <laughs> I really like this story. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's my my best sex ed story. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah, because the same thing happened to me. It was all. Wait until marriage, no masturbation here. We'll look into getting you this ring that you can wear. I did the, um, what is it called? The something ball where you dress in all white and you're given away by oh, your Oh, a cotillion? Father. Yeah, I did a cotillion. That's very posh, Lindsay. Yes. Uh, our grandfather was the, the man who, quote unquote, gave me away. So uncomfortable. I had definitely (laughs) had sex by then. Um, All right. Well, I I feel like I know more. So here are the questions. These were asked in an episode of the Sexplanations YouTube channel. Um, Ask Lindsay number 15 if you're following along. And the first one says, what do I do? I'm 15. I want to be open with my parents about my fascination with sexuality, but they don't understand. I love that question. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think it's something that definitely needs to be talked about. And then coming from like the Christian circle, um, it's something that isn't talked about nearly enough. So then uh, especially young people, I think, go searching in places that don't necessarily give them good information. Mm -hmm. Um, You might either they're going to turn to their peers who don't probably know much more than they do, or they're going to look at porn, which may or may not be realistic in what they're learning from that. Um, So I think it's important to be able to ask questions. And I think your YouTube channel is great. Oh, um, thank you. As a resource. And then, um, yeah, I just, I guess one of my encouragements to anyone that might be listening, especially if they're um, Christian, would just be willing to talk to people about sex and make it less of a a topic that can't come up in conversation. Yeah, we've discussed this while you've been visiting how sexuality is such an important part of the human experience, and, and that includes asexuality. And so if people of faith are trying to connect with each other or with others, that that's something they really ought to include in those conversations. For sure, yeah. Which is not a way I had thought about it before. Because I just, I mean, I want everybody to um, be sexually literate, but it's not, you know, based on like, um, getting any one particular message out there, but that's interesting that, yeah, if you are trying to communicate how to follow a certain path, 
you can't leave out an entire part of your system. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's good. It's a good way of thinking about it. So at 15, do you think you could have had that conversation with your parents? Did you have that conversation with your parents? No. (laughs) Uh, I think only like this year have I started to like ask my mom questions about sex and I'm 31. But really good questions. (laughs) (laughs) you've given me some examples and they're really good (laughs) um but yeah just even like um I would say even talking with like my girlfriends um like if they've grown up in church like it still can be really awkward which I don't think should be the I don't think that's right like I think I should be able to have conversations with my friends about what my body's going through and what their body's going through because if it's taboo then it's scary and then it's um, shameful and it's a natural part of our bodies. So, okay. So if you're 15 and I'm your, I'm going to be your dad. Yikes. And you are, here we go. Fascinated with sexuality, but your parents don't understand. What do you say to me? What do you do? Ooh. Um, gosh, I mean, sometimes I think that your parents might actually be more open to talking about it than you think they might be. Um, I think a lot of times the parents are just as nervous as young people growing up, yeah. like knowing how to bring it up and, and what to say. And they don't want to say too much um, too soon. And I think that's just hard for them to know. And they also don't know what you're getting exposed to at school or in the movies you're watching and stuff. And so I might just say like, why don't you start, maybe start with some, some tamer questions, but just start asking questions of your parents and, See what you can get out of them. You might actually get a better conversation than you expect. Okay. So ask me, your dad, my uncle. Oh, what? Any question? Yes. The question that communicates that you are fascinated by sexuality. Ooh, I don't think, um, I think I would probably start asking about like his experience first rather than mine. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So saying you're my dad might start by asking like, who was your first kiss? Yeah. And see how that goes. And if he gives me a good answer, then I know it's safe to ask another question. And if that gets stonewalled, well, then I might have to to look somewhere else. But um, I asked him who his first crush was or when his first crush was. Yeah. 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 Your dad. I asked your dad. that. (laughs) Um, I think that this person is also maybe saying maybe that they want to be a clinical sexologist or a sex educator someday and their parents don't get it. But um just bringing that up as the answer to the question anytime somebody says like, oh, what are you going to college for? Or what are you studying? Or like, what's your theme, senior paper on? Just be like, sexuality. I'm really interested in sexuality. There's a, a lot of messaging that happens that uh, gives us the impression it's something bad or scary or dangerous. And I think that there are important ways to keep people informed about their bodies and their choices that will make society better as a whole. Just have this badass answer that's super mature and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. What did I put? Long time ago, I said, it's okay if they don't understand. I don't understand Nick's fascination with horror films. He is the videographer at the time. But I accept it. Teaching your parents about curiosity is a form of sex education. Um, look at you go, right? Like this person is asking me a question that's uh, a step in the right direction. In general, remember, though, that your students don't have to agree with you in order to learn from you. I'd also suggest that you share with them some sex explanations, specifically the episode on Havelock Ellis, which is about how um, 
Havelock as a child grew up with a fascination of sexuality and how the lack of knowledge did a lot of harm. Uh, and the one where I answer questions about sexology, the field. Yay. Good. I go on, but we're going to move on to the next question because I want to hear what you think. This question is from someone who was injured in a bicycle crash and needed genital surgery, which included some new piping and stitches to his scrotum. So yes, how do I feel comfortable enough with my own genitalia after the trauma and comfortable enough to share it with a partner? Okay. Yeah. Um, (laughs) not the question I was expecting. Uh, I think, I think that's going to be like, I think they actually have a good point in the, in the question itself that they know that they have to be comfortable with it themselves before they're going to be comfortable sharing that with someone else. Mm. Um, which maybe they didn't even know when they, they put that in the question, but, um, how, how you do that, I think is, um, is going to be unique for each person in each situation. I mean, for me, like just being accepting of my body, I think women in general are very, very critical of our bodies. Um, and I know guys really care about their junk. Um, so I imagine this is, (laughs) you know, um, yeah, that that would be traumatic in in a lot of ways, not just like physically, but um, emotionally and confidence wise. Um, but confidence is super attractive. Um, so learning to love your body's quirks and um, things that are unique, I think, is really important. And um, I think some of that will probably just take a little bit of time um, after an event like that. And then as far as sharing it with a partner, um, all relationships should be built on trust. uh, And part of trust is honesty. It might not have to, I wouldn't say that has to be a first date uh, conversation. Uh, My scrotum has stitches. (laughs) Probably doesn't need to go on the first date. That's on your Tinder profile, right? Oh, for sure. (laughs) So yeah, just um, being honest and, and I think in how you approach it in the conversation, you know, explain what happened and, and this is part of who I am and this is me and, and I'm okay with it. And I hope you're okay with it. And if they're not, then you're too good for them. You need to find someone else. Oh, you heard it here. That's what Caitlin said. (laughs) I know we're making kind of light of it, but I do think that humor is huge for recovery. And, um, if that feels like too much of a leap to go from feeling trauma and these kind of a negative set of emotions to feeling something positive, like after enjoying humor, um, I suggest that people go from negative to neutral. So like how many stitches are there? What color is the, um, do they use thread anymore? It's it's probably dissolvable. Yeah. Something fancy. What is it? What did they put in your scrotum? Um, what is your new piping called? How does it affect masturbation? Like have some curiosity around it. That's very benign. Like there's no judgment of those things and then work toward humor from there where you can do things like put on your Tinder profile, like totally lean into it and say, you know, My nickname is Stitches, and then somebody might ask why. You're like, because I had a motorcycle wreck and banged up my ball sack. And yeah, I think for me, when I have gone through trauma around it, just talking and telling as many people as possible, safe people, really helps dissolve the shame around it and the the fear that I'm somehow not okay or less than and listening to other people's experiences because then you 
I, for me, I realize that I am part of and not separate from. Yeah. And I think that's, while that's probably a unique accident, that person's not the first one to have trauma happen to their genitals. And the more you talk to people, usually the more you find out that you're not alone in this sort of situation. You're not the only one who's experienced um, trauma or um, or shame or, or lack of confidence in that area. And so, like you said, just talking to more safe people about it can make you feel better about the situation. Yes. I know that um, talking about your personal experiences is probably not the thing that you want to do on a podcast with 20,000 people. Um, you've set that boundary for me, but in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> knowing some of your experiences, I'm just like, oh. Anyway, just know that Caitlin, um, we're all, we are all cheering for you. Okay. So, uh, next question. Is it strange for someone who identifies as gay to watch straight pornography or either way, right? Anyway, is, is it okay if somebody identifies as asexual to watch, um, any pornography? Is it okay for somebody who identifies as monogamous to watch group sex? I think that's an expression of curiosity and a desire to like understand and, you know, experience or learn about sex in a certain way. Um, Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just because you're identifying in a certain way doesn't mean you're not curious about other people and like how they might have sex or how they experience pleasure. So I don't think that's strange or anything that you would want to do that. Um, I did really like your episode on ethical porn. I think that's super important, like knowing where your porn's coming from. Um, (laughs) I think it's awesome that you watched that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I have a huge, like, heart for, like, fighting against sex trafficking, so... Mm, I uh, didn't know that. Same. Yeah, so, like, porn for me is, like, a kind of sensitive issue because you can definitely get into areas there where people are being used Mm -hmm. and... It's especially like under 18, like minors, um, like that just, that kills me. Um, so yeah, making sure you know where your, your porn's coming from, whatever kind of porn you want to be watching. Yeah. Oh, I like it. What a good answer. I will add, um, that when I was in my doctoral program, part of our education was watching a lot of experiences between people. And so often that would fall under the category of pornography. And I was, so I was exposed to all different um, combinations, let's say. And I really only like was into this one called uh, uh, Risa More, something like that, where it was two men and I that was it I was like that is the (laughs) porn that I enjoyed this is or I called it erotica and I thought that whatever they were doing looked so fun and so exciting and it wasn't about you know one person taking it and the other person giving it or dominance and submission or anything like they were just having so much fun and I I don't identify as a man and I don't identify as homosexual or bisexual or pan or any of the the sexual orientations that might have that kind of interaction, but it was the kind that did it for me. Man, I wish I could remember what it's called. Something Latin (laughs) or Greek. It was so good. All right. Um, That makes it sound more sexy. Okay, good. What's your opinion on sex surrogates? Are they even a thing? Are they better than sexologists? Worst 
worse equal? Ask the question again. What's your opinion on sex surrogates? I don't know what that is. Ooh, exciting. Then I get to teach you. (laughs) All right. So you know what surrogates are for family planning? No. Like if, if, for example, I wanted to have a biological child, I, but I couldn't in my body. I had the eggs, but I couldn't with my uterus. Like, let's say I mm-hmm. had a hysterectomy or my fallopian tubes or something had happened. Um, and they would remove the egg from me and they would put it in a petri dish with sperm and create the embryo and then implant the embryo inside. Well, you're, you are the surrogate <laughs> in this example. Oh, they put yeah, the yeah. example. Okay. This, the embryo inside yep. you. Okay. Now I know what we're talking about. So yes. you're the surrogate mother. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Which can happen in all forms. It's not that linear. Okay. But so you know what a surrogate mother yes. is. Okay. You, you carry the fetus and then when you birth it, I take it back. Yep. Okay. Uh, a sex surrogate is really similar. So let's say I can't have um, a certain type of sex with a person. Um, like my partner. And I really want to be able to do that, or he really needs to learn something but can't do it with my body, then we would find somebody, maybe not my cousin, to be a surrogate for those practices. Okay. I never heard of that before. Ta-da! Learn something new every day. Yeah. There's a more eloquent definition for sure. Um, But it's definitely somebody who works in kind of a clinical capacity, usually partnering with us a sex therapist, a talk therapist to unpack that person's sexuality or to enhance it in some form. So for example, if I didn't know how to orgasm and I went to see Dr. Doe, the clinical sexologist, there's really only so much that Dr. Doe can do for me. Like she can suggest books and exercises and verbally coach me, but she can't touch my body or show me or like guide me hot cold to like where that orgasm is. Mm -hmm. Whereas if Dr. Doe could prescribe a sex therapist and then I could go to a sex therapist, that person could be like, okay, I'm going to put my fingers here and I'm going to show you how I want you to try rubbing this area, or I'm going to breathe in this way, or this is how I'm going to get my body ready. And then it's like, it's like a physical therapist, but for sex, somebody who's coaching you. Gotcha. With touch. Yeah. And also facilitating some relationship kind of interaction intimacy with the use of their body. I have never heard of this before. Do you know Helen Hunt? No. The actress? I don't think so. Kayla, we got to get you out. (laughs) Okay, so Helen Hunt is a famous actress and she, actor, actress, um, she used to do a TV show when I was young, but um, has been in a lot of movies. And one of them is called The Sessions, where she plays a sex surrogate to um, a gentleman with pretty severe disabilities. I don't think he can, he doesn't have mobility maybe from the neck down and he's something about an iron lung. Anyway, she is a sex surrogate for him and it is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Oh my gosh. Okay. So what's your opinion? Oh gosh. (laughs) I, I might have to marinate on that one a little bit. Good. That's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to hold off on an opinion so I can think about it. All right, next question. What has been the best part of your week so far? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I'm visiting, like, my coolest cousin ever in Montana. (laughs) 
And I've never been here before, so I got to drive up to Glacier the past two days, Glacier National Park, and see where the water cuts through the rock and these big, awesome cedars and mountains covered in snow. So I love nature. That was like all my hiking this week has been really cool. You're in the right place. Yeah. You've been trying to convince me to move here and it's like, it's working. It's going to be really hard to get on that plane tomorrow. You don't have to. You don't have to. You can stay here. I have an extra room. And then when I move, you can just live in the house. Just stay for forever. Yep. With my younger brother who was also visiting, you know, just fill the house with cool people. Yeah. Just take over Montana. That's funny. And that's funny that that question was asked of me. I, at this time, I answered it, had just done what's called a sushi social. So we took over this Japanese restaurant downtown and had a big party where we covered people naked people in sushi. And I think this particular year, um, I modeled, which I had never done before. I had always hosted it, but we have, oh, it's our grandma. Okay. So our grandma, Billy, who's also been on Sexplanations, I did an episode with her called Sex at 79. Uh, she has a plate in her house. So, okay. Um, not everybody knows this, but you know her house. If you walk in the door, you take off your shoes, then right where the linoleum turns to carpet, if you're walking toward the couches, mm-hmm. on the left, there's a bookshelf. Mm-hmm. And on top of the bookshelf, there's this beautiful ceramic plate. And it has a painting. Uh, the painting? Yeah, I would say it's a painting. Mm, my mom would have a hard time with this considering she's a ceramist. She, you, Okay, you fire it. And yep. then you glaze, glaze. Okay. Well, yeah, so it's a painted. It's painted with glaze. <laughs> so we'll get these words. <laughs> of a, a young Japanese woman kind of surrounded by wheat and flowers. Its main colors are this really beautiful cobalt blue and gold. No? Not I'm going to have to be looking for this. No. It's I... so pretty. Okay, so you know our grandmother is Caucasian. Mm-hmm. She's like... But Swiss and Swedish and yeah. German and of European Europe. Yeah, that's what she is. Yeah. But on my dad's side, my grandmother is Japanese. So the tradition is to have at least a middle name that's from that culture. Mm-hmm. And so on the back of this plate of this Japanese girl, it says Takara, which means treasure, and it's the name of this princess who's in these flowers surrounded by this like flower bed. So my middle name is Takara. My um, name is from this plate. (laughs) Um, I always wanted to do that as one of the scenes at the Susie Social. So this would, this was the third year we did it at this restaurant Uh and they got a photograph from Grandma Billy of the plate and then they made the whole kind of setting of this table to look like the plate with wheat and the flowers and gold and all of that. And then I I became a, a literal plate because then people ate sushi off of me. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought my experience this week was pretty cool, like walking <laughs> through a national park, but that one, that's that's pretty incredible. Do you want us to turn you into a plate? While you're here, we'll rent out the sushi <laughs> restaurant and cover your naked body in fish. Oh, goodness. That's funny. Okay, so next question. How do you define sex addiction? Um, well, addiction in any sense is, um, like an urge to do something that you can't 
always control. So um, a desire and impulse that can take over and that you then struggle to um, say no to or um, yeah, keep yourself and others safe while in in that scenario. Um, so if you think of like alcohol addiction, um, you know, people struggle to stop drinking at the right time. And then when they are drunk, they, you know, it is not good for them emotionally and um, for themselves personally, and then usually for the people around them as well. Um, so um, I would say it would relate to pretty much anything, including sex, that if you um, can't um, say no to sex or you feel like you constantly have to um, sexually stimulate yourself, then that might be some signs of addiction. Um, and I think it would be like you, one of the things to look for would be um, how it's affecting the other parts of your life. Is it restricting you like with your work or with your relationships with people? Um, not just maybe your partner, but other family relationships or friendships and stuff. Wow. I love that. <laughs> you're, you're like not in this field at all, but that was probably the most articulate way I've heard anyone describe it. I mean, there was no pressure sitting here with my cousin, a sex <laughs> therapist, and she's asking me to define addiction, sex addiction. It was so good. <laughs> Okay, good. <laughs> really, because, well, in, so in my field, the way people will respond is usually to say either they don't believe that sex addiction is a thing or they know that other people don't because it's so controversial to even label it that way. Mm -hmm. We'll be like, oh, just because that person has sex eight times a day doesn't mean that they are addicted. They're just having sex more than you are. Stop judging them. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, there's nuance to it. But I love the way that you put that they can't stop like it's not that they want to have sex more than eight or the eight times a day it's yeah. that they can't not have sex eight times mm -hmm. a day and I also like how you added the part about you can't say no yeah because um at least when I heard it I received that as like a a woman who let's say any number of partners or one partner wants to have sex a certain amount of time and I have an addiction to it where I can't say no despite not even wanting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, so good. So good. I'm going to listen to this episode, <laughs> play back, type it up, be like, this is the definition of a sex addiction. Oh. And if people don't agree with us, that's good too. Like, share it in the comments. Yeah. Tweet at me. Like, Caitlin and Lindsay don't know what they're talking about. Or be kind. <laughs> yeah. But be nice, but you can disagree. It's, yeah. It's cool. I think you did an excellent job. Very tender and thoughtful. I have more question for you. Another In another video, you said that dental dams can improve the oral sex experience for a female. Why is that? Well, I've never had someone go down on me with a dental dam, so I don't know. Um, can you imagine it all? So dental dam is a latex or polyurethane or polyisoprene mm -hmm. barrier. Yep. Maybe saran wrap. That's non-microwavable, so it doesn't have pores, that is put onto a vulva during oral sex, hopefully prior to performing oral sex, that is seen as a STI prevention method. But it can also be more positive because if I am worried about my scent or my taste or um, my pubes getting caught in somebody's throat, all of that fear is lessened for me. And I really like um, barriers in general because they can kind of mix up the experience. Mm -hmm. So be like, oh, something new, a new sensation. 
and specifically around my clitoris or any like the the hood that I'm more likely to use for creating pleasure on the clitoris. If there is direct contact, like tongue to body part, mm-hmm. tongue to clit, it can be too, too high pitched. Like, <laughs> yeah. Whereas having a barrier there kind of diffuses it so it goes out across my entire, like the shaft of the clitoris or the whole vulva or things like that. I Okay. I guess, yeah. Like rubbing yourself with your underpants on versus not. Yes. 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 You got it. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Okay. I um, liked what you said about like just even... I don't, uh, I don't know if you use the word confidence, but, um, making the girl feel more comfortable. Like if she was self-conscious about oh, yeah. anything, cause you gotta, yeah, you gotta be relaxed and comfortable. Yeah. Um, my penis is 5.5 inches. How do I make it large? Question mark. I wouldn't stress about it. Might not be an answer you want to hear, dude. But. <laughs> um, I, I actually, I had a guy ask me, like, he's like, what's the equivalent for girls? Like, I, I asked him, I was like, butt or boobs? Because most guys are like a butt or boobs guy. Interesting. And so he asked me, he's like, what's the, what's the equivalent for girls? And I was like, um, I don't really know. I want to say like a six pack might be on that list, but I don't, we also don't really expect that. Um, (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but, (laughs) um, yeah, I don't. It's not usually, I think in the same way that girls are really self-conscious about their bodies, I think guys can be really self-conscious about the size of their penis. And I don't think that's necessarily something that they should be as concerned about as they are. Yes. And if they want it to be bigger. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are out there. I agree with you. I, yeah. All right, let's look at the spectrum here. So if I wanted something on my body to be bigger, my choices are to look into surgery and have it enhanced with some sort of implant, Um, stretching exercises, something that people do to enlarge their pecs or their breasts are to do push-ups or weightlifting exercises that would strengthen that body part to make the muscular tissue in it enlarge the rest of it. Um, you know, for a penis, there are things like kegels and jelking and, um, you know, pulling on it. I saw this person at Folsom street festival. I don't know how they did this, but my thought is that they'd taken a bunch of marbles and put them either up their urethra or in between their foreskin and the head of the penis, something like that. But their penis went from what is typically a elongated organ, something that looks like a dildo, to something that looked like, oh, a tiny Nerf football. Oh. Or a really wide potato. Or... I'm going to struggle to eat these potatoes that are in the oven now. I have one for you. It looked kind of like a Scrabble bag. You know, like the Scrabble bag that's full of all Mm -hmm. the tiles that you choose from? That's what this person's penis looked like. So... We were <clears throat> talking about it at the festival. How might that happen? That could happen with scar tissue. Like a person could intentionally scarify their penis to create that bulging tissue. Mm-hmm. Or they could, yeah, put things inside. So all sorts of ways to make it bigger. I never would have thought of that. Extensions. Strap-ons. You know? But I 
really try to encourage people to appreciate their bodies the way they are because all sizes serve a function. And 5.5, first of all, is is large. It is larger than if we're talking about averages, um, you know, half the population or as large as half the population. Hmm. That's big. And if, if once it starts getting much bigger, then the person can, um, you know, struggle maybe with getting it completely erect and full of blood and may also end up in penetrative intercourse, hitting different body parts that aren't comfortable for the receptive partner. Yeah. It's not to say that it's all about sex. You can have a, a big old dick that has nothing to do with how it feels for another person or looks. Excellent. <laughs> Is it normal for sensitivity to change throughout my mid to late 20s? Hmm. Um, I assume they're talking about sensitivity like overall and not just like within their cycle because I know that can be different. Um, personally, can be different. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think... Uh, I, was, <laughs> I don't know how to do this. Um, I, I think it's, it's often said that a woman's biggest sex organ is her mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you're maybe thinking about in, as you um, grow older may change or what you're exposed to. So I think that could affect um, what you physically feel um, about things. Um, I mean, I didn't have a boyfriend in high school or college. I wasn't really thinking about sex that much. Um, so like for me, like being like sexually developed didn't really happen until later, um, when it became more of like part of the conversation and part of what I was experiencing with people. So I think it definitely can change and it's not, I think a lot of it could be your environment too. You're so good at answering questions. <laughs> Are you sure you want to be an Olympic weight training coach and not a sex therapist? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll save that for my retirement. I'll, uh, <laughs> yeah. Second career. Yeah. That's really thoughtful. I like it. Good. Yeah. Okay. Um, you did it, by the way. You got through all the questions. Wow. Rarely do people do that. Okay. Nice work. <laughs> I only passed on one, I think. So, but that is that is a perfect answer to say that you're not ready to answer it or that you need more information. I think I, I do that all the time on Ask Lindsay's to say, "Oh, I don't know," or maybe someone. It's on the weird that people feel uncomfortable to say that because it's like, well, you don't have to give an opinion about everything. Like, if you don't know, it's okay. It's it's better. <laughs> it's better than to withhold than to make something up or just conjure an answer based on your limited information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. I think that that was a very important answer to give. Main squeeze, squeeze it good. We do kegels on this explanations podcast. Do you know what kegels are and do you want to do them with us? I, I do know what they are. I've never done them before. Are you sure? Maybe you did them and you didn't realize you were doing them. Maybe. Are, this is this is your profession. Actually, yeah, random fact, I'm trying to get a public health specialist to come to our CrossFit and do a seminar because um, a lot of women in CrossFit struggle with um, incontinence, especially when they really? exercise. How yeah. come? Like um, in, in particular? In particular, um, jumping rope and box jumps, sometimes heavy lifting because of the, the pressure. So, like, I've peed while I was um, standing up a really heavy squat before. 
Because you are doing Kegel. You're, you're okay. So, um, sometimes Kegels can help with that. Um, and then there's some other things that they can do too. So I'm hoping to actually get an expert in to do a seminar at our CrossFit gym. Okay, Caitlin, this is so cool. So cool of you. Yeah. And also, I don't understand how you haven't done them. <laughs> okay, well, we have people in Missoula who I could send to Ohio. I mean, but... if they want to field trip, I mean, I would love to host them. They can come out. That's amazing. Wow. Something I didn't even think of. Oh, my goodness. Please do that. Yeah, because it's not an area I'm an expert in. So I wanted to get someone in that could really help our community. There are two episodes on Sexplanation's YouTube channel on Kegels. One, I start at the beginning dancing um, and then talk about them and what they are and how they might work. And then the other one, I go and see a physical therapist who actually puts a device inside my body and measures my Kegels Mm -hmm. to tell me whether or not I'm doing them right. Because, you know, every week if we're on the podcast and we're doing them, I'm like, hey, 20,000 people do it wrong. That's problematic. <laughs> so, um, that, ah, oh, that's so cool that you want to do that. And you can share those videos in the meantime. Yes. That sounds like a good plan. Wow. Like that. Good. So this is going to serve you. This is good. All right. So the way we do them varies a lot on the show, but one of them is to imagine that you are urinating and the muscles that you would tighten to stop urination, those are part of your pelvic flooring or your pubococcygeus muscle group. And when you do a contraction of those or you, you know, flex them and relax them, that is called a kegel. Just like in your world, you have, what do you have? You have a lift, you have a push up. you have a jumping jack. You have an exercises. (laughs) (laughs) Either an exercise or exercises. You have to pick Lindsay. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So we encourage people the same way that you probably do to only do a certain amount of sets and reps and work up to it. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you have a person who's new, is it called weightlifting or heavy lifting? Weightlifting. Weightlifting. A person who is new to that, how many sets and reps would you recommend for them? Oh, it depends on the movement. (laughs) Uh, If the movement is clenching their pelvic floor. (laughs) Thanks, Lindsay. Uh, (laughs) Probably not too many. Okay. So we could start with three since since you are a beginner. And then, so we would do like a clench and a relax and a clench and a relax or clench and hold and a relax. Okay. And I usually do eight, but we can keep it simple. Uh, yeah. Give me like a pad one level one. <laughs> I'm not a Jedi yet. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to hurt your vagina either. Um, but you, if you're doing weightlifting, you'd think that like in order to not pee yourself every time that you're probably doing them. Probably am. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all part of like racing through your, your core is much more than your abs in the front. Sorry if everyone thinks that's how you're going to get a six pack is just doing crunches. Um, but core is much more, yeah, it's the whole torso basically. And being able to talk about like filling up a balloon and kind of bracing against that. So that would include the bottom part of the balloon. That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you not seen videos of the people who do like heavy, no, you call it, what is it called? Weightlifting. Olympic, Olymp- Olympic weightlifting. Yes. 
that they do with their vaginas? I've never seen a video of that. All right. Next question. How much luggage are you allowed to take on the plane? (laughs) Uh, I can check my bag. Is it full? No. Okay, perfect. So I have what I would call a barbell for your vagina. I think it's two pounds. It's called N-Joy, the letter N-Joy. And it's really heavy. So it's not something that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll send this to a Patreon person. No, no. It's heavy. Well, I just told you it's two pounds. Yeah. So you can use that and your vagina can be an Olympic weightlifting vagina. Wow. I know. There's so much to aspire to now. I'm so excited because you could teach those classes, right? Yeah. People do. It's true. All right. I'm excited. You're going to go to YouTube. You can like watch these videos of badass people lifting really heavy things with their vaginas. Is this a sport? This is a sport. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I mean, yours is a sport. Yeah. It's in the Olympics. I mean, it's, yeah. Well, people want to put this in the Olympics. Okay. The (laughs) the bottom of the balloon is very important. It is very important. (laughs) (laughs) The question is, okay, so in the bottom of the balloon, I'm imagining the balloon as a water balloon. And so that little anus looking thing is at the top. But really, if the balloon is full of helium, then the anus-looking thing is at the bottom. So which one is actually the bottom of the balloon? Uh, Maybe balloon's not the right analogy. It is! It is! Where is the anus? (laughs) The bottom! (laughs) Oh, okay. Let's do that. Okay. No more joking. We're going to get serious here about our crotches. And people of all genders and body types can um, can try this. That doesn't necessarily mean you can do it because you do have to have some control over your muscular system. But um, you don't have to have a vagina in order to activate your pubic coccygeus muscles. Okay. So you have the sensation of peeing, but you're not going to pee on the couch. Then you're going to clench and hold and then relax and push down, but don't pee. Did you do it? Yeah. Did it feel like weightlifting? No. <laughs> how, okay. Tell me how weightlifting feels. Maybe I can up my game. Um, it didn't feel very challenging. Oh goodness. Yeah. You need the weight. I think that you've been doing them this whole time. Okay. Well, we're just going to do two more. <laughs> so second one, clench, hold, and then push out and relax. And the third one, clench, hold, push out, and relax. I'm so excited for you to play with this toy. I haven't <laughs> used it. It's brand new. It's still in the box. Okay. Super fancy. I'll let you know how it goes. Yes, please do. <laughs> the last thing that we do on this Explanations podcast is give extra credit to each other and the audience something for them to work on between now and the next episode so that the curiosity process and the learning process continues. Do you have something in mind? Oh, um, yeah, I think it would be to, which we kind of talked about like right at the start, um, would be having a conversation with someone like a safe person. Um, but maybe a little bit outside your comfort zone, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a friend. Um, but I think, um, and I want to give a special challenge to any Christians out there that might be listening to this Mm -hmm. that are maybe afraid to talk about sex. And, um, and just encourage them to make it more a part of the conversation and make it less awkward and taboo and, um, and to do it with 
a lot of grace and love and forgiveness because um, it's often seen in Christian circles as um, something that's dirty or um, if you've stepped outside the lines of what uh, Christianity would say is acceptable for sex, um, there's a lot of shame in that. Uh, and even shame just in general, I think about talking about sex, which doesn't make sense if God made it. So uh, yeah, challenge would be to, to go have a conversation with someone. Yeah. Read Song of Solomon <laughs> together. Read Song of Solomon. Yeah, do it. It's and, super pornographic. <laughs> Ooh, look up Hebrew poetry and imagery and you'll be like, whoa, they're talking about body parts that I've never heard talked about in the sermon series before. Now you can practice at home. Dr. Doe gives you sex credit. Actually, if you do read Song of Solomon, can I give a little shout out? Yeah, please. Okay, so Flatirons Church did a series called Explicit Lyrics, and they go through a lot of the imagery in there. And it was the first time I ever heard the word penis used in a sermon. So go check them out. Um, It's one of their older sermon series, but you can find it on their website, Flatirons Church. They record it and post it on YouTube? Uh, It's on their website. Okay. Yeah. Did you look up the horse penis? And Song of Solomon? I didn't look that one up. I think it's horse penis or donkey penis. I'm going to show it to you while we're here being (laughs) witnessed by the podcast. Oh, it's Ezekiel. It's not Song of Solomon. Oh, okay. Ezekiel 2320. Do you have it memorized? No, I'm sorry. How good are you? Not that one. Oh, Caitlin. Okay, ready? I'm going to read it. She remembered her lover with the penis like a donkey and and a flood of semen like a horse. Yeah, I can't say that was in Sunday school as when we get memorized. There's a lot that probably (laughs) should not be in Sunday school. That book is very um, explicit. Yep. But nobody's trying to ban the Bible, Caitlin. No, no. And and, uh, Song of Solomon is very um, sex positive. Go look it up. Yeah. Read that one, not the other ones where if you come upon a woman, you can rape her. Oh, terrible. Okay, so one more time. Ezekiel 23.20, she remembered her lover with the penis like a donkey and a flood of semen like a horse. That's a great way to close out a podcast, Lindsay. <laughs> Have a conversation with your family about Ezekiel 23.20. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. This was fun. You did such a great job. Aw, thanks. Yeah. Uh, Last thing I say, because it's really important to me that people understand this is a process for me and I am not a complete human, uh, you know, finished in learning and finished in my understanding of the world, is Ancora and Parle, I'm still learning.